At the murmured words, spirit gives the lyre a firm pluck, the sound shivering and dispersing into the air. It has a golden warmth to it, not unlike the kind you'd find in a lantern flame, and the thought of its warmth remains even after spirit gently presses the cords between splayed fingers to stop their minute vibrations. The room goes silent. Even the rain is let up. The dog, lifting his head to blink in the sudden quiet, whines almost inaudibly and leaps to his feet, nails clicking against the wood plank floor as he pads over to the door and slips outside. Sable is a very old soul, Monarch tells you, affection in their voice, ancient enough to see every fleck of wonder within the ordinary. Sable does not view the world through the eyes of a child, is not filled with an amazement that comes from novelty, I speak here of the sort of wonder that grows with understanding, with familiarity, grows deeper with every encounter, the wonder that comes from knowing that change is inevitable and that nothing is guaranteed. Just outside the door is the smell of damp loam after a clean, heavy rain, the color of tree bark after having been drenched by the heavens and in here the sound of birds resuming their conversations reaches us, as does daylight pouring in from the window, a faraway starlight that had been stoppered until now by the storm clouds. Spirit sets their instrument aside, laying it onto a silk pillow, then pulls Monarch more firmly into an embrace. A cluster of lights, of impossibly faraway stars, glow more brightly in the center of Monarch's face, and you think... Perhaps that is what a smile feels like. It is an understanding that didn't germinate in your mind on an intellectual level, but rather out of some indescribable instinct. All the points where the two entities' cosmic bodies touch begin to wake again in eddies and flashes and blooms of color, and the sight transfixes you anew in some type of wonder, which one you can't say for certain. You wonder... How many hellos and goodbyes they have had. They lace their fingers together and gone entirely as the border between sea and sky, their colubrity and this small act of affection, the catalyst for a colorless flame to spring up from their palms. It ignites upon the otherworldly fabric that spirit is wearing, burning it away, and for just a moment you glimpse the entity's impossible body of a brightness so absolute that it might as well be darkness for all the detail your mind can make of it. Your thoughts go blank at this electromagnetic pulse of an image, and then suddenly it is as if there had been no flame at all, as if it had just been a trick of the light. Spirit's strange clothing lies again mysterious and black upon their body, the two entities' clasped hands a sanguine glow in the dim warmth of the room. The air wavers like a heat haze. When Monarch reaches up to press a palm to Spirit's cheek, it causes the musical entity's skin to change and acquire definition that you had not until that moment realized was missing, of a quality that you cannot quite explain— but there is a difference between the beauty of an idealized form and the beauty of a mortal one. With monarch's touch, you perceive this subtle shift in spirit's bearing, in the way the light plays over the expression on their face. Who is to say which is better? 
Both perspectives are real, and that is enough. One-handed, spirit signs. You are the gerund whose arrival we awaited. We feel, we speak, we love, we laugh, we think. You are feeling, you are breathing, you are thinking, laughing, speaking. Monarch still holds Spirit's cheek, gazing up at the light and the emotions moving in tandem with hand-sculpted words like clouds over Spirit's expression. You hear Monarch's voice, but their free hand is moving too, floating above the strange depth of their chest. You wouldn't know the difference if you had never been an infinitive. To be a gerund is to be a mortal in motion, weaving every movement of your existence into the frames of life. Sable chooses this moment to return, his damp soles leaving glistening paw prints on the wooden floor, the rainwater catching the firelight as he trots back in the way he had left. A ray of sunlight lances in through the door he left open, the heavy cloud cover having parted almost entirely to cast a deepening golden light over the world below. More birds have roused from their roosts to call out to one another now, their voices traveling in sharp and clear through the door from the trees just outside. What did you discover? It is Sable that Spirit addresses their question to, not you. The dog sits, tilting his head a little, and then lies down, pawing at the wooden floorboards with a significant look at Spirit, jaw opening wide in an involuntary yawn. Then he gulps and returns his concentration to sending Spirit the significant look, causing the entity to huff out a laugh. I should like to see for myself. The simple assertion carries in its delivery a wealth of warm amusement. Delighted, Sable bounds over and into the cushions of the seating area, tail wagging as he places his forepaws onto Monarch's abdomen to sniff and lick at Spirit's face. It is as if he is standing on space itself, covered only by a thin membrane of star-spun cloth. Both entities begin to laugh in surprise, Monarch patting Sable's torso and Spirit nuzzling and kissing the dog's head back until he grows calm again. Sable looks back and forth between them, panting and wagging his tail in a much more relaxed manner. Then, seeming satisfied with his work, turns to curl up on the pillows next to them. Monarch sits up to face their fellow entity, their back shielding most of Spirit's body from view. They murmur something you can't hear, and Spirit signs something in reply that is entirely hidden from you. The two of them sit in silence for a moment, and then Spirit pulls Monarch into their arms, holding the other close, lips lowering to rest in the crook of Monarch's neck. The effect of the kiss is instant like lightning, but soft, like ink diffusing in water. At the touch of Spirit's lips, branches grow, extend throughout Monarch's body, veins carrying luminous blood. This spectacle, you imagine, must be what a kiss feels like when welcomed wholeheartedly by the soul. Expansive. Beautiful. They part. After a time. 
Though they still hold hands, even as Monarch moves to lie back down, auroras, star formations, and clouds of color materializing from the tips of their entwined fingers to travel up their limbs and fade into space or disappear beneath mysterious fabric. Then, spirit lets go entirely, both hands returning to the lyre while Monarch settles their head into the musical entity's lap again, seeming boneless and blissful. Each chord is plucked, adjusted and plucked, adjusted and... Darling, it is nearly time. You already know that. The bird song from outdoors seems distant now. Monarch's voice the kind of earnest quiet that only comes after all pretense has been voluntarily discarded. The kind of earnest quiet you find in a corner booth after dark, deep in conversation with a friend. Time to stop wool-gathering in visions and start living. Do you remember what arrested you in your frame? The point at which you forgot what it was to be whole, to be sweetly alone? You've been human. You've had your heart split by birth into metaphor and object, smashed by a lack of affection and repaired again with the tenderest of care. You've been whole, and you've been diffuse, the softness of your years settling over the jagged edges of a childhood that was a dime a dozen yet still unmistakably unique. It is nearly time. Time to set the sands of your memory aflame and make of them stained glass, make of them clear lenses through which to filter the starlight of your every mortal life. You've been human with atoms like air that would will be yours only for a while before belonging to another. And how beautiful a notion is that? Whether you are cognizant of it at all or not, your atoms live many lives while you are alive, before you are alive and after. Take care of the space around you, because, darling, all of it is a part of you. This largely infinitesimal life is yours. It is for you, and you are worthy of it. I could say the same to any and everyone, and it would never take away from the importance your own life holds. Maybe this time you will believe me. There is a smile in Monarch's voice at that remark as though it were a shared joke. And for the first time you wonder if you've had these conversations before. The thrum of the strings is so deep that it shakes your attention loose from Monarch's words and back to the room. You glance at the light now pouring in through the window, the way it paints the floorboards in color. Again, you hear Monarch's voice curl up into the air from the cushions, tone reassuring. You are feeling, you are remembering, you are living. You watch in wonder as the golden afternoon light coming in from the adorned window thickens on the floor, the colors reflected there turning to viscous liquid and beginning to run, as if nudged into transmuting by the invigorating force of spirit's new melody. Gathering momentum, the paint, marbled with the colors that had been in the glass, spills over the side of the seating area to seep below the cushions, leaving their surfaces speckled with beautiful pigments. Another section of the paint runs right into the hearth, splashing against the crackling logs of the fire and into the flames themselves. With a hiss, the fire begins emitting tongues of phantasmagoric color, plumes of gray-green smoke disappearing up into the chimney. 
Like the river of memory, you are running and returning. You are heating, whirling, changing into air. The room looks the same, but something in it has shifted somehow, shivering as it is with song. You startle when a bird flies through your field of vision, brown plumage iridescent with tiny splotches of paint, and you understand the bird was a dog only a moment ago. But your understanding turns to horror as you are powerless to stop the bird from gliding straight into the fire, its feathers at once melting and crackling into the ravenous flames, bones crunching and popping under the force of the heat, a black plume of smoke the only thing to escape the blaze. Spirit's notes become softer, more drawn out. Jolic's amenities of a boldness and a beauty unmatched lives for endings, though an ending is only possible because there will have been a beginning. See, we fear darkness because of how fully it encompasses the depths of what is yet unknown to us, but we fear light for the way it can show us truths with perfect clarity. Viewed in this entirely polarized way, of course these phenomena incite fear, but together they form the context which allows for nuance in understanding well, everything. And with nuance, fear fades into curiosity. Do all fires burn to destroy? More specifically, when destruction is the result of a fire, is the destruction itself always a bad thing? The answer you come to will be less important than the time and consideration it takes to arrive at it. Allow the possibilities to germinate, to branch, and to crown in your imagination, and then monarch stops short as Jolix Domenides returns from where it had gone up in smoke fire itself. It glides between you all and the flames engulfing it go out, leaving behind a plumage that you think at first is a glossy black, but that seems to turn another color entirely every time it catches the light. The warm, burnt orange-red of flame, the bright aquamarine of shallow ocean water heated by the sun, the verdant royal violet of spring, and sometimes the kingly brown of a common wren. It perches, just for an instant, on spirit's lyre, and then launches itself into the air again, leaving behind little tongues of flame that catch on the careworn strings of the instrument. With a sweep of its great wings, it sets the ceiling of the cottage ablaze, the tips of its beautiful feathers grazing the wooden beams above. Spirit plays in tandem with the fire crackling and roaring overhead, and the bird again glides in between you all, then darts away toward the back, drawing your attention to the stained glass window, the floor underneath is still covered in a marbled river of paint. Jolix Domenides flies straight for the window without stopping, and this time you are transfixed instead of horrified as the bird flies right through what should be a solid surface unscathed, pulling the color out of the glass entirely as it does, its tail feathers growing long and magnificent as a result. The now colorless picture window looks out into the clearing and off into the forest beyond, the bird blazing with a soft, barely visible fire as it heads toward the clouds. With a crash, one of the ceiling beams falls to the floor, setting the paint there alight, the flames rapidly changing color as they eat away at the wood of the cottage and at its dried plants, loose pages and books. Spirit's song grows in intensity with the fire, but when you look back at them, you realize that the lyre is gone and that the musical entity is reaching into thin air with a serene sort of concentration. Maybe they have been the whole time, the instrument nothing more than an illusion maintained for the sake of your sanity. 
A dark tone rends through the air, more sensation than sound, as foreboding and fortifying as a battle horn, the sort of rallying call that would make an opposing force waver, that would make the ground quake with the answering cries of souls preparing for a last stand. There is honor in defending a home and in defending a people. Conflict and battle erupts in dire circumstances, survival dictating a struggle to emerge alive. There is a world of difference, however, between a starving city stealing another's store of grain and a despot ordering the grain store of a neighboring city destroyed in order to incite fear. War is cold and ideological, a system maintaining itself through the sacrifice of innocence, all in the name of power. It is a coward that forces war upon others for their own gain, a fool that believes any war can truly be won. There is no glory in war only widespread devastation, aftershocks that carry through generations. Another bone-deep call of the battle horn blasts open the wall before you so that it crashes forward through the landscape, a rectangle receding into the distance and making of that section of the forest a desolate wasteland. It regrows. In a tapered column of scorching summer, ash trees alone regrow in uniform rows, the grass a trimmed carpet of green unmarred by patches of bare earth or clover, by moss or flower. For each crown there is a robin, for each trunk a squirrel, for each protruding root a rabbit hole. Yet despite its outward appearance of harmony, this forced collapse of a natural paradigm leads to untenable borders, to ruin... For every fifty trees there is a predator well disguised, moving about as it pleases, taking what it likes. The only tenable subsistence here is in the flesh of the animals themselves. Few nuts, berries, or insects are found inside their carefully cultivated borders, little more than a residence. The predator steals away three robin eggs in the dead of night, and the robin takes issue with the rabbit at the predator's advice. It is this insidious impression of war that comes to you, of soldiers and citizens alike being moved and positioned like pawns for an ideal, fed by propaganda until aggression is glorified and sanctified, until diplomacy is branded a fool's errand. You bear witness also to the breathtaking complexities of a society and culture being reduced to buzzwords and banners, to factions and sides until individuals are flattened in the same manner. With this war takes root, its instigator's only goal to gain and maintain power. It repeats and repeats and repeats over again, repeats until there is only one side attempting to survive in the destruction it wrought to win. But there is no winning in war, only desolation, a uniformity so stagnant that nature can no longer cradle it. There is no winning in war. The rectangle of forest, rendered entirely uninhabitable, gradually melts back into the landscape, remembering its true depths and complexities, regrowing the diversity of life that was lost. There is no winning in war, but there is regrowth, slow and sure, after surviving it. At this Spirit gathers air to their chest, and once more the horn sounds, no longer a single blow, but a series of notes, a chaining melody. There is a haze over everything now, whether from the force of the horn or the heat of the blaze, and you hear a distant booming too, 
quite unlike the crashing noise that another ceiling beam makes as the fire continues to rapidly consume the little that is left of the entity's home. Stars collide and go supernova in the depths of Monarch's chest, giving that inner universe a pulse and a beat of its own. A second wall of the cottage collapses, sparks and licks of flame raining down on the cushions from above as most of the ceiling caves in too, but still the entities stay where they are. Everything burns. Everything, everything burns. With a wordless, piercing note, it is as though a cross-section of the planet is excised away, and you can see straight into space. The earth around you curls up, folds and unfolds, fair-weather trees losing their leaves, snow falling, snow melting, branches budding, leaves falling, leaves falling, flowers blooming, snow swirling, birds singing, wolves howling at the moon, and the moon and the moon, lakes freezing, seas raging and calming and raging again as a faraway star has warmth enough to evaporate the topmost waters of the pond teeming with unassuming life, because life can never assume anything. Nothing is a given, not even the way that summer turns to winter and back again, because home is not a place, it is just a feeling, the way that love is an energy that can't be measured, only felt. And in the smoldering ashes of the cottage, spirit stands steady as a mountain, and in those ruins, monarch rises like the green shoots that evince the return of life after destruction, in spite of it. Spirit's decisive movements draw yet more music from the air, the soul-deep sound completely shifting, warping, and changing all of reality like sensing across multiple layers of time and dimension all at once. It is beautiful. It is frightening. It is incomprehensible, all the more so when they each add their voices, singing in a language so impossibly ancient that it might as well be new, though you've heard something like it before, before... A lifetime ago, and also just yesterday, spirit's guttural chanting melts into soaring cries, monarch's floating syllables veering along sharp, velvety edges and back into soft waves and crests. The forest continues to shift and transform all around them, each change depositing over the last in a layer upon layer of translucent history possibility. In this their verse, you are a stop-motion soul, frames of your every thought, your every feeling, your every choice, branching out so widely that you cannot possibly consider them all. You are frozen with indecision, frozen as parts of the landscape and parts of your psyche rapidly cycle, filtering in and out of focus. You are frozen, you are frozen, you are freezing, you are... Jolix Demenides returns in a blaze of glory, wings outstretched so that they seem to cover the whole of the sky, the planet and its dimensions of reality relaxing back into place, those great sweeping wings healing the excision in the earth, plumage burning in the every color of dawns and dusks innumerable. Again you watch Jolixtamenides take flight, the dawn flickering and wavering over spirit's melody as the firebird reborn flies directly from monarch's core. The contact sets the strange fabrics that the two beings wear alight, and the bird plunges right into the cosmic oddity that is the intuitive entity's impossible body, until it flies so deeply far out of sight that it appears to be nothing more than a tiny, bright star. Monarch even in the light of day, is a humanoid void in the planet, a window into space itself. It will not have been quite in this way, not here, not in this shape. But we will meet again. We have. You turn away from the space that Monarch's voice occupies, uncertain, then look back. Remember, darling, remember, the fear is already fading. 
As if to emphasize Monarch's words, Spirit plucks one last note, and in a flash the entire planet disappears Monarch along with it, leaving just you and Spirit floating in the void. The musical entity, a darkness of pure white in the star-encrusted vacuum of space, raises a hand to get your attention, the other still pulling sound from invisible strings. They begin to give shape to their thoughts with their free hand, the limb erupting with tendrils and waves of color each time it passes in front of the being's supernaturally bright face or torso. The hand looks lacy with the sort of thin ice that hovers over the surface of a pond at dawn after a cold night, but the entity's presence is molten, the space around them wavering with the force of their light. The intensity of their form is almost too overwhelming to make sense of, their music growing ever stronger, reaching ever more deeply into your psyche. Cataclysm brought you to us, a schism of head and heart. Clarity can mend the rift and show you paths more true. Do not mire yourself in bitterness the way home is within the choice of how and whether or not to go there ever yours. In a flash of deeply sharp sound, like a bow being rapidly drawn across taut strings, you find yourself back in the ruins of the cottage, the leaves of the trees ringing the clearing fluttering to the ground, autumn having come to them early. Spirit is gone. Music still plays, however, both of the entity's voices faintly audible under the weight of the endless song resonating through you, air that you are, your soul amplifying it in a way that is joy and grief and longing all at once. You resolve then and there to turn away, to take flight, and notice, through the trees on the other side of the clearing, a familiar creature. Its large, guileless eyes stare into you momentarily before it darts off, quiet as a rain bubble bursting on the surface of a puddle in a warm summer downpour. You follow it into the murky light of the ever-mysterious forest, where it is spring and it is snowing and where the sky is all over below and inside of you. The hours turn to days, turn to months, and then change again into minutes, each one its own sort of forever. Who's to say how long it takes before you are back in the summer meadow where a cloudless night is ribboned with auroras that stretch over the landscape, reaching for the peak of the mountain hill and beyond? You think you spot fox running through the mysterious lights, dashing and leaping their way along a heavenward road toward the stars above, but that couldn't be, it couldn't be, because fox was... Here you startle as the deer darts in front of you, galloping at full speed for the overgrown stone path that leads to the tunnel of the mountain hill, slipping through the time-worn break in the trees. Despite the remnants of your fear, you make the choice to follow, drawing ever closer to a place you once chose to escape. Below the canopy of leaves, the deer disappears out of sight along with the moonlight. It is memory you must place your trust in now, as well as in the strong summer wind suddenly howling at your back. Riding the current is an exhilarating act, a repudiation of fear. At the tunnel entrance you falter, but unbidden come memories of the way that Jolixtomenides dove into raging fire, into solid glass, into infinite dark, and these embolden you to rally all the courage you can muster. 
You imagine yourself a phoenix in kind, and dare to plunge through the mouth of the mountain hill to brave the music of the unknown, not stopping for anything, not even when the sound strata reaches down into your soul, illuminating everything, 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 whether or not you were ready, and of course you weren't, no one could ever be, but you're accepting the light with the little bit of grace that existence has given you, and in so doing, realizing that you'll never need to declare who you are, because the answer is not important, is nothing compared to the journey that you then now forever take. You escape definition. The sands of memory shift, and a song older than love itself fills you and fills you and fills you and fills you until a tundra bursts into existence before you, a tundra low and lush with spring growth, a tundra and an ocean beyond, moon and moon and moon so close together in the sky that they look like one astral body when reflected in the water. The auroras extend over toward the distant horizon where sea and sky meet, and above you really do see fox, and as they dance over the lights their tail brushes against them, creating a soft, soothing melody. Below the deer walks toward the sea, subdued as it picks its way through low brush and springy mosses, there is no longer any need to run. A rabbit draws your attention suddenly as it bounds out and away from its hidden burrow. When you look back, the deer has stopped to stare up at the heavens, at fox, poised on a band of astral light. Far below them both, the sound of waves crashing against the cliffs is no more than a whisper beneath the melody of the night. Fox raises a forepaw, and your vision doubles, stretching to a disorienting degree, then lets themselves fall from the sky, turning nose over tail in a sudden and astonishing absence of music. Then, your field of vision collapses back in on itself with a flash that whites out the landscape just as Fox collides with the deer. Your mind stretches and spills into the blankness, scattering like a glossy deck of cards into a messy pile. Here... Hands reach into a tide pool, turning over rocks to find starfish. Here, clouds float by overhead, pastel purple-pink-orange-red against a darkening blue sky. There is the smell of breakfast on a quiet, sunlit morning of... and the smell of a candle having been blown out, sweet smoke lingering. That laugh sounds like a hug, holds space for you to laugh in reply. Hair brushes against your cheek, your lips pressing against velvet soft skin in a kiss. Sand dwells between your toes, snowflakes melting on the palm of your outstretched hand, fur between your fingertips. A life you will once have had unfolds like a flower blooming, a berry ripening, a seed falling into soil. Hastily, you call your thoughts, your emotions, your dreams, your memories back into yourself. Back to where they belong. The light softens the more you gather yourself together, until it is no longer clouding your vision, but instead illuminating it. Thunder rocks the heavens, a distant storm lighting up clouds that had long since passed overhead, and music, soft as the rustling of wheat in a field, wafts up from the earth. Again you witness Fox change before you, the guise melting away like so much paint to reveal spirit, through whose body the auroras seem to twine, intensifying in the musical being's smoky outpouring of light until their figure turns translucent, the astral colors giving only the barest hint of a silhouette. 
In such close proximity to spirit's outpouring of light, you take notice of the deer and how the edges of its body begin to fade away as it raises its front limbs to stand upright, shivering as it does. It is as if you are watching a slow process sped up, a butterfly unfolding itself from a cocoon, wings drying and expanding as hours shrink to seconds, at which end point the illusory husk of the deer implodes and fades into the depths of monarch's body. The intuitive entity, a cutout of space in the landscape, is filled with light, galactic clusters, swirls of colorful space dust that shift, gaining a wider gradation of hue and tone the closer spirit comes to them. What do you believe? There is warmth in Monarch's question, an immeasurable patience. If you have to manipulate, if you must intimidate it into another's psyche, it is not faith. It is force, defeating its own purpose, and so I ask you, free of fear, guilt, and shame, what do you believe? What do you hold dear? Jolixtamenides bursts out from the back of Monarch's astral body, blazing and flying up into the sky like a sunrise. Spirit gives you a long, clear look, and then turns to watch over the bird's journey, their back to you in a gesture of trust. There must be somewhere more out there, beyond the horizon. At long last, it comes in waves. The reason. It is pain to think upon it. Pain to face it and allow it back into your waiting heart. Open and vulnerable. This... Impossibly heavy stone that you will once have been shackled to. Even as a newborn, it will have been so much bigger than you. And then, before you could ever possibly be prepared, a straw will break the camel's back. A single welling tear will hold more weight than you can possibly bear. You will shatter. You will shatter. It wasn't... It isn't your fault. In your heart, you know this. Deeper still, in your soul, you understand the stone for what it truly is. Particles that join together, one by one, through shared pain stealing themselves against perceived danger until speck became pebble, became rock, became stone. But you're safe. In the presence of this truth, the stone crumbles as though letting out a sigh of relief crumbles into dust. At long last, it leaves in waves pain. It goes swirling through your moving waters, carrying far, but settling too as grit, as silt in the murky depths of your subconscious. Some of the pain is carried away on a breeze as dust into the beings' bodies, dissolving into the infinite dark of monarchs formed to become distant stars or to disappear, melting like snow 
like rain upon spirit's back to slip down into the landscape and start again. The grit and the dust disperses until you can bear the weight of what is left in that heart of yours, still open, still vulnerable, but not frightened anymore. Time holds your body in trust, suspended in the moment you lost hope, and you think maybe the fragile danger of a body is worth the risk it poses. The body both a choice and a compromise, not without its flaws, not without challenges, never guaranteed. Maybe the ephemeral beauty it allows you to experience for a time or an age, an hour, a day, one more minute is worth returning for. Is it saving grace? All hope needs is a moment to scale mountains. Just a little breathing room 